Hello, No Code Nation. I'm your host, Ayush, and welcome to my No Code Story, a podcast that will inspire and educate you with stories from real people in the world of no code. Today, we focus on freelancers. We talk about mistakes new entrepreneurs need to watch out for, how to achieve growth, and how our guest sold her first product before she fully built it out. My guest today is Natalie Furness. Natalie is a no-code maker and HubSpot growth marketing consultant. Natalie is the founder of Freelance Notion and Niam Digital Marketing Agency. She bootstrapped, built, and launched Freelancer OS within six weeks and generated instant revenue. Natalie is starting her own podcast called Launch No Code as a series of YouTube live streams before she publishes them, which I think is a great concept. Go check out some of the guests featured on Launch No Code after you listen to this episode. In my early teens, I was attending board meetings every day around the breakfast table. Even as a solo entrepreneur, I collaborate with people. You know, I definitely don't do everything alone. You need people to help you grow businesses. And people started buying it. And I was like, I haven't built it yet. This is madness. <laughs> Enough said. Let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Natalie. Hi, I'm Natalie, and this is my no-code story. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here and sharing your... I know our audience will discover this over the course of the next few minutes, but your incredibly valuable experience. Well, thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Typically, when we start, uh, we start with people's stories. And a lot of people are fairly private about their day-to-day -day and about their stories. You, on the other hand, I think you're one of the few ones that managed to toe this line successfully. You, you share enough where people get tremendous value out of following you on Twitter. But at the same time, th there still seems to be something more you're someone that has a background in, in drama or theater. You then learn that you're into kickboxing and then you learn about something else. So tell us about yourself, the best way you would describe it. Wow, I think packing the odd years into a brief story is hard for anybody to do. And I think we're all, we're all trying to figure out how to best tell our story for the context of the listener. Because that's what we should always be thinking about is who's actually listening to this and, and what do they really care about? And... I've learned sort of being in the no-code space, the things that have resonated with people are kind of like my little entrepreneurial journeys along the way. So the way I usually talk about Natalie is that, I mean, I started looking at products and marketing and product market fit when I was about eight years old. It was on the playground. Myself and my friends realized that people liked friendship bracelets and friendship bracelets were pretty easy for us to plat and make. We were girls, we could plat them. And we thought, okay, well, why not? we have a unique selling point we, we didn't know what it was called that then but of tailoring them to people's star signs and or something like that we actually started selling these on the playground at that point and i mean at that time i didn't think about it as a business i didn't think about it as anything it was just something fun that paid for my sweets for like a few weeks so that's kind of where i started after that i suppose i didn't really touch business that much when I was a kid growing up. I did lots of dancing and drama and performing arts and gymnastics and I've always been like really sporty. I was that kid that, you know, every lunchtime was packed with a sport 
of some sort. I grew up in a family where lots of my family were scientists. My auntie's a science teacher, my grandmother was a nurse, and I had that very sort of science background. My dad was a fireman, my mum was a secretary, you know, I, that's the sort of upbringing that I had. Mm-hmm. And just as I was going off to university, my, my dad decided to start up his own business. Actually, it was a few years before I went to uni. So effectively, probably from the age of like 16, 17, actually, no, maybe younger than that. I think I was more sort of like in my early teens, I was attending board meetings every day around the breakfast table. You know, like I grew up in a house where my dad was an entrepreneur and he decided to leave his job working as a fireman to start up a health and safety consultancy company. I didn't really realize the impact that living in that house would have on the rest of my life, but it it definitely has. Then I went to university, did the standard, you know, science degree at university, started a business at university again, because I saw a need for more performing arts in the city of Coventry. There was a requirement for that product. So I just built it and I marketed it on Facebook and people came to the classes and I earned money and that kind of continued. After graduation, I did the standard, you know, get jobs, freelance on the side a bit, always been a side hustler. And before I moved full time into sort of marketing, which all came as a, I actually got headhunted after I started writing TED talks for companies like Microsoft and um, cancer research to tell their stories. And, and that's kind of how I got into marketing. And then in, in November, 2020, I was deciding what my next step, what I wanted to do. I landed on Twitter. I found this space called No Code and I became addicted. I became addicted to the the passion and the drive that the no coders in our space have. Their innovative, creative mindsets and the ability that now we can pretty much build anything without code. And that brings me where I am here today. So you've been having this entrepreneurial streak right from the beginning and talk about customizing products with the friendship bracelets, uh, specifically to sun signs. And there, there are these small lessons that you can take away from each of these individual stories of yours. Tell me a little bit more about the experience being in board meetings and so on, because most people associate those with something being drab and boring, and you would rather go sit at a beach or listen to some music or whatever. But you, you seem to have had a lot of fun. What exactly did you take away from that time? I think at the time that I was sat around my breakfast, lunch table or dinner table with my parents talking about business, I'm not sure fun would have necessarily been the word I used at that point. I think I have fun memories of it now because I had no idea what I was learning. I, ha- I had no idea that I was learning strategy, that I was learning the importance of building partnerships that, you know, I got to watch a man go from serving our country as a firefighter to now i mean he's still running the business it's amazingly successful and i got to see him grow that like and live it and i mean he wouldn't have been able to do it without my mom to be fair i mean they they grew it together mm-hmm. and watching them strategize watching them you know argue about about things that were really important you know like you do in early stage businesses you have disagreements as a team you get to experience that you you then also get to see the conflict resolution side of how how do they actually come to a final agreement and decide on which strategy to put forwards. And 
you see the real hard times. So I think the thing is when I went into some of my business ventures later on, I, I knew there was going to be hard times. I lived in it and I'd seen the struggles and, and you know, the things that we had to sacrifice as a family to help my dad's business grow. But it was it was definitely worth it. And I think what I have seen is I, I've seen the, the guy that he's become and how happy he's become by following his dreams. And I think that's the main thing that I took from that. What's one memory that sticks out when you think about something that didn't quite go well when your father was starting this business and, and growing it? He really wanted to follow his dreams. And my mom wasn't 100%. She's the planner and he's the like the doer you know but she's good at building that sort of infrastructure and he's kind of good at pushing it forwards and i think that moment in which i saw that it's actually the balance of those kind of personality types that makes a business work i think that really impacted me and it reminded me the importance of making sure that you know even as a solo entrepreneur i, I collaborate with people you know i, I definitely don't do everything alone uh, you need people to help you grow businesses and it's just finding people that are not they're not the same as you that are different and I, that has stuck with me the importance of diversity and the importance of diversity of mind that's such a valuable lesson in there because especially these days with the advent of not only no code tech but just starting up a company is so easy but then growing it is the actual challenge and it's such an important point that you, you cannot do it alone. You could do it to a certain extent, but you cannot do it really well alone. You gotta find those opposing points of view and, and try to figure out a path to growth that is comprehensive across various facets of the business. When I think of you, I always think of someone that has a ton going on at the same time. You were, even during your time at uni, you were doing so many different things. You have so many different passions. How do you keep things straight? Like even right now, you have so many projects running in parallel. We'll talk about a few of them here, but what's your magic trick to keep things straight while you're juggling so many different goals and aspirations? The thing is, is that I can't say I always do keep things straight. You know, like, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've got it all figured out because I, I definitely do not. I think growing up, just that was my habit, filling my time with things to do. I was always a doer. So I think part of that is just part of my upbringing, part of my natural habits. I do have the tendency to put too much on my plate. That is certainly one of the areas in which I've had to work on quite a lot that ability to say no when somebody asks them you if you can help out with something or that ability to just be able to delay things and, and not think that something's going to happen right away i think for me i focus on daily habits towards goals rather than trying to have a structured plan for everything that definitely helps me you can overthink sometimes when you plan and you can plan the planning and plan the planning of the planning and then before you know it, you've just got tons of plans and you've actually done nothing. But it feels so good. <laughs> it feels so good when you've got a great plan on a on a really pretty mirror or whatever you build your plan on or your notion. You've got a plan, you've looked at it, everything's aligned and now you must be making money. But no, it's still just a plan. You actually have to implement it. And I've been very focused. I'm very action focused person. Like, doesn't matter how much research you do, 
you're not always going to be able to find the answer because there isn't an answer for everything. And sometimes you have to just be like, okay, I'm going to try this and think what's the worst thing that's going to happen. I mean, I took this very much from the four hour working week. If anybody's read that great book, if you haven't, it's kind of like always think what's the worst thing that could happen. If it's not that bad, just try it and, you know, learn from your mistakes. Learning from my mistakes and my pain has definitely been like the best teacher. Um, trying not to think too much about getting stuff wrong and just just trying to fight that fear. It, it, you know, you have to fight it every day, but fight the fear, try something new and learn from it. That's kind of it. Is there a mistake that you made that you want to share mm. that might help others that mm. are starting out on this kind of journey? Yeah, I've made so many mistakes, but I think we've all made so many mistakes. You can't live a perfect life. But there was one particular one that that affected me for, for quite many years and still remains very pertinent in my mind today. And that was the first company that I built when I was at university. And it was the, the first time I hired people. I actually, you know, I was a founder at university paying people £25 an hour to work for me. You know, that was, I thought I was, you know, giving them quite a lot of money and I was doing like a really good job and I was really positive about my management style and all sorts of things but there was one particular occasion in which someone else did a contract for me and there was some lack of transparency in the communications along the way and that person had a very different idea of of what that work entailed for the compensation they were getting compared to what my idea was and that actually ended up really upsetting that person. And in fact, that person was so influential within my company that that breakdown of relationship between myself and somebody that, that was working for me actually pretty much caused half of the company to collapse. Wow. Yeah, I mean, at the time, it was devastating. It was difficult because like, you really trust these people around you and for it to change so much because of one person it, it was quite a hard thing to get my head around. And from that moment on, I realized that it, it doesn't matter what it is in your organization, be transparent with your staff, like 100% transparent and authentic. And, and it, that's much better than, than trying to kind of hide the truth about things or tell half truths and things like that. It's, I learned the importance of anyone I'm working with, I'm 100% transparent with, with everything. What this brings me back to is as founders, people are wearing so many different hats all the time. And the moment you start working with people, you're running an HR business. And the best way to deal with people, what you're saying is being transparent. Are there other aspects to this too? Because I feel like being transparent is a good goal, but it's not possible all the time. But getting to an agreement and being able to I don't know if documented is the right word, but being able to frame that agreement in a certain manner might be more valuable. Is, is that uh, another aspect of what, what you've come to implement now after reflecting on that experience? I, I'm not sure there's anything that I'm not transparent about now, apart from was anything that I am contract legally required to not share with, with people that work with me or my team. Mm -hmm. I don't share those things. But other than that, if they have a question related to something, I, I'm really transparent about it. I, I kind of don't even think about 
filtering those things anymore. One thing that stands out to me is the fact that you started working specifically in the no-code space relatively so recently, right? This was not even six months prior. And you already have a couple of different projects, one product that's out. Let's talk about your journey in the no-code space. What or who introduced you to the no-code space to begin with? So I think I was building little bits and pieces with technology before I even knew that this no-code word was a thing. I've been a, you know, HubSpot expert since like 2015, 16, around that sort of time using Hub HubSpot a lot, looking at ways I can integrate that to different systems, zaps, things like that. Like, I think mm. I've been playing around with these different tools without realizing there was this kind of community, like the no-code community. And I mean, it was literally a a 24 hour thing in November. Like I, I'd used, I already, as a marketer, I'd already used MailChimp, MailerLite, several CM, CRM systems, data enrichment systems. I'd already played on WordPress, Webflow, I mean, GoDaddy site builder. I mean, I, I played on all of these things in my jobs because my job as a marketer in a lots of startups was like to try and figure out how to get them to be able to showcase their products in the cheapest, fastest, most efficient way. So I was just kind of hacking together tools to do that for them. Mm-hmm. And it was one day that I went on on Twitter and I think it was more out of frustration of being frustrated with the, the new algorithms on LinkedIn. I kind of wanted to try something new. And I made a conscious effort one day to, I'm going to curate my, my Twitter. I'm going to stop following all the people that I don't want to hear from and I'm going to see what the algorithm brings up when I start liking things and yeah it just so happened that no code came up and within a space of three or four clicks I clicked on a few things I landed on the launch MBA site I'd paid to join the launch MBA I'd met Kieran from launch MBA and I was given a challenge to build 12 products in 12 months and I just said okay and that was it that's awesome. Sometimes that's all it takes is just a switch in in the mindset to you know get you started on on a new path, and it's been a, a really successful path for you as well with the freelancer operating system. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what your goal was and and why did you target freelancers specifically? So I suppose whenever I'm thinking about a new idea, I always start with the who. Who do I want to build for? And part of the Launch MBA project is very much about thinking about what existing channels you have. Because if you're building 12 products in 12 months, you're launching them pretty fast. Mm -hmm. So as a marketer, I'm thinking about how do I acquire users? What channels do I have? And as a freelancer myself, I knew other freelancers. I was in quite a few freelance WhatsApp groups already. I, I kind of knew a few on Twitter. And I knew a few no-code people wanted to potentially go into the, the freelancing space. You know, I could see this future that, you know, no-code tools eventually, you know, every corporation's going to want to hire people with no-code skills to yeah. potentially start freelancing. And I knew about it. It was a topic I had personal expertise on. So I was like, hey, this is a achievable market for me. This is a strong market. I've got strong ties and I have knowledge of the market. So then I started thinking about like what problems these people have. And generally when I was speaking to other freelancers, the hardest thing is always finding customers, like, 
finding clients, acquiring new clients, closing new clients, managing new clients. Like, and the thing is, there were so many different problems. I was like, well, I don't know how I'm going to be able to solve all of these problems or one of these problems. And it was actually looking at Notion and seeing Janelle's newsletter OS. And I got that and had a look at it. And I was like, I could potentially use Notion to build some sort of interactive engagement platform that kind of takes people through a system that I know works because I've done it. I've tried it. It works for me. I acquire customers with it all the time. And I can also give them additional resources. So things like legal contracts or account contracts and, you know, CRM systems, I know about them. So can I potentially put an info pack together that's kind of like an interactive ebook, but structured as an operating system so that freelancers could just literally live on there and work through the tasks and actually see impact as they work through freelance notion, the freelancer operating system. So those were my ideas. The way I qualified the idea was first of all, I asked some people if they would be interested in that. And a few people kind of said yes, but I know we, we can't take what people say as qualification. You know, we need mm -hmm. to see action. Mm -hmm. So I put up a landing page and the landing page just described Freelancer Notion, the business operating system for freelancers and focused on, you know, mastering your business because business is a thing we're not really taught as freelancers. We have a skill, but like the business bit is another, another world. So then I put up the landing page and I got, I had one of those subscriber boxes and I set myself a goal. I was like, if I get 25 of these within a week, I'll think about it. I'll build it. And I did, and I got a few more than 25. I think I had like 50 within a week. I was like, okay. And I actually went back to Kieran in Launch MBA and I said, is this good? Like, should I do this? And he was like, well, yeah, but they are just subscriptions, which is what they were. They were just subscriptions. This is not people pledging their money. And I think I had three or four people that one after the other were like, you need to get people to pre-purchase. You need to get people to pre-purchase. You need to get people to pre-purchase. And it, it did take me a couple of weeks before I put up that pre-purchase freelance notion, the freelance mm. operating system. And I put the introductory early bird price and people started buying it. And I was like, I haven't built it yet. This is madness. Like <laughs> people are buying something that I haven't built. And I was like, well, now I'm really gonna have to build it because <laughs> that was such great motivation. And that's when I started building it. And then, yeah, final within a launch, I have, you know, I think we've got like a good 40 to 50 customers within the first week of launching. So that was great. Wow. That, that's awesome. And you inherently kind of flipped the script where you focused on answering the right questions, putting yourselves in the shoes of your customer, but then asking your customers to also put their best foot forward. And you're basically getting them to put some skin in the game. And the nice thing with a digital product is that it only keeps getting better over time. And I think now with, you know, Tesla's and over the air updates, people are just used to things getting better over time. And they have that kind of confidence to pre-purchase something from someone that you trust. But put ourselves in the shoes of someone that's thinking about freelancing. So let's say I'm in a dead end job. I hate my job, but I, I need to pay the bills, right? And I'm thinking about freelancing. I have a couple of areas of expertise. I want to double down on one. What's the right time for me to build something and attract an audience and dive knee deep into 
being a freelancer? I mean, in terms of when to start building your freelancer story, is all, the answer is always today. Like, every day start building, because that's the hardest thing. I mean, the hardest bit about freelancing isn't the work itself. It's figuring out who you are as a freelancer. You are the product. You need to think, what do people, what's the second word people hear after they hear my name? Like, what do I want that word to be? And how do I want people to recommend me? I think the best advice I can give to any freelancer is that when you explain what you do as a freelancer to your best friend, they should be able to recommend you within a sentence. But getting to that point is not easy at all. And that's why within Freelance Notion, there's a, a chapter all about creating your freelance it's a story. And it takes you through a step of like understanding like who your potential market is, what your story would be to that market and how you start crafting that story. At the end, I have a little task for people. They, they send their freelance stories to me and I do a quick review and give feedback. That's part of the package. And yeah. And then you can, that's the kind of thing you can put on your website, on your, on your Twitter, on your LinkedIn. It's having that consistent messaging everywhere. How much of this process involves no-code tools? The process of thinking about your position doesn't require any tools. It is, it's a human, it's a creative human brain thing. And I think, you know, we all have to remember that, you know, creative and innovation isn't the result of tools that's the result of a human mind like we have to take responsibility for thinking and coming up with our own story and thinking like what am i good at what do i actually want to do where do i want to be who do i want to work with and start listing and brainstorming all of those things down and once you can see all of those things think about how to craft the story that you want people to say back to you you need to be able to tell your story to other people before they're going to start saying it you know you will become what you put out there makes sense you kind of control the narrative there as well um mm. let's let's talk a little bit more about the no code space because i know you have some thoughts and opinions about where this space is going um, i personally over the past few months have seen so much investment being put into no code as as not only products and services but also more and more people get into the space um what are your thoughts about what the next five years look like for for the no code space and maybe talk about it from the framework of like a solo entrepreneur or maybe a small team versus someone that's in the enterprise uh space mm -hmm. as well so in terms of the journey for OS and all the OS systems related to that, they're going to be people that start like being leaders within certain no-code tools and, and becoming the people that other people go to buy those things from. At the minute, we're seeing that makers are building predominantly for makers at the minute. Um, lots of sort of dog fooding into the industry, um, mainly because it's very easy for us to all explain the tools to each other without having to like education around positioning and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I can see over the next few years that what I'd like to see, and also I spoke to um, Ben from Makerpad about this yesterday on um, the Launch No Code podcast, was that we'd like to see makers exploring problems 
that exist outside just looking at use cases and problems that exist within industries whether that be you know healthcare hospitality the fitness industry like you know actually looking for those kind of problems and and building little products that actually help in those i think that's gonna we're gonna see that more and more particularly as the maker space is going to start attracting more people from different diverse backgrounds i think they'll start building things for their industry so we'll we'll start seeing productization within um smes mm-hmm. um of course the, the tools are going to become a lot more sophisticated you know we've already seen the complexity of of tools like like bubble you almost you know and organizations who decide to use and other app builders they're going to actually need some experts in the yeah. space who are actually mm-hmm. going to come work in their corporations so i can see the next wave being that you know there's all of a sudden going to be these jobs and i don't think they're going to be called no code jobs i think they're going to be called like airtable consultant or you know they're going to be consultancy based um roles within specific tools maybe where they want people to come in and work specifically on those projects um just like we've seen now that, that you know there's advertisement for hubspot crm managers in certain organizations i i think that's going to filter down into some of these other code um other products the reason why i think that's going to happen is a lot of the products who originally started um marketing at creators and makers are now moving themselves into the position of the smes and the enterprises so as they adopt they're going to need workers that have experience in it and the people who are going to have the portfolios are going to be the people right now who are making and building stuff they're going to be the people that have the power to get those jobs if they want them so they're going to have the opportunity to either go down the route of becoming probably a very well-paid consultant within some of these organizations or be able to build their own products or do both you know consult on one side as the consultancy can be their side hustle and their main thing can be their project which is that's the kind of route that I'm seeing a lot of people go towards. Yeah, in- interesting. And I think some companies are starting to take notice of the first part of what you were saying around education, where the the masses still need to be educated about the possibilities and so on. So we see more and more companies investing in resources um, and acquiring resources focused on uh, education. And obviously, MakerPad is a uh, is a prime example of that. I was on that uh, Launch No Code podcast um, as an audience member, and I got to say, it was it was I wasn't able to be there for the entire duration, uh, but I came in towards the end, and I got a uh, I got to ask a question and so on. I think it's a really cool format, uh, you know, what you're doing on YouTube, and um, there was something that you guys discussed. Uh, so Ben and you discussed uh, around micro innovations in the enterprise, which I feel is uh, is really something that is it's worth double clicking into that what do you mean by small innovations in the enterprise space so i think and this is something that people may or may not know about is that most large organizations have whole teams that are just they've been built for innovation so sap has an innovations team and it's a small team of people who come up with ideas and innovations that if they get funded by SAP themselves, the same thing with um, oh, most of the big companies, Deloitte, all of them have like a small innovations team. And it's kind of, they kind of invest their own funds in hope that these innovation teams will come up with something brilliant that then they can scale until I spoke to him. And I think that was a, a really interesting point. And yeah, 
I think maybe we'll see it come in those innovation labs first. But yeah, Ben's way more in the, the forefront of that than I am. It was such an interesting conversation, though. What I was able to uh, get out of it in just a few minutes was so much more than, you know, you get from from just following people on Twitter. Um, there's something to, you know, being able to hear someone speak. And I know you're you're big into Twitter spaces as well. And I'm starting to be as well. I'm just interested in this. I, I don't think... I come across enough spaces to follow yet, so I don't know what the what the algorithm looks like. But what's your experience been with live audio? So I like audio mainly because I'm dyslexic, and this is my preference of communication style. I, while I enjoy writing and things, it takes a lot more energy for me to write a tweet than it does for me to hold a conversation. I find conversations and listening to conversations quite relaxing rather than reading all the time. I think we all spend so much of our day at work. Like, so it's kind of refreshing to have a different sensory stimuli, I should say, so auditory. So Twitter spaces I found very interesting. I've been waiting for them for a while, mainly because as an Android user, I was not unable to enter Clubhouse, which mm -hmm. I did get serious FOMO from and actually had to block the word Clubhouse from my Twitter feed. <laughs> but when I saw that Twitter was launching Twitter spaces, I was like, oh, yes, I can't wait for that. I was like, do you know what? When that trend comes, I'm going to be at the front of that. I'm going to get to know Twitter spaces better than anyone knows Twitter spaces. That was kind of like my goal. More of a reaction of not being able to get onto Clubhouse. And I have. I've dived in. Whenever I've seen the like purple thing pop up on my phone, I've dived into one. And <clears throat> I sit and I listen for a little while. And the question I always ask myself is, can I add value in any way to this conversation? If the answer is yes, I request to speak. And then just get involved with the conversation. Sometimes I don't request to speak at all, just sit there and listen and that you can kind of have it on in the background. And I feel like, you know, you feel like you're in a bit of a coffee shop, you know, when you've yeah, got that yeah. like murmuring and the conversations around you. So it kind of gives that kind of atmosphere. We've also used it as the kind of after party for the launch no code live streams. So just a bit of context to kind of like the, the launch no code, that was my most recent project which is kind of me experimenting with like what it takes to live stream what it takes to then turn a live stream into a podcast and then a podcast into a video and then a video into a blog like like this kind of content creation stuff and right. I, i'm going to try and figure out ways of automating it as well for everybody mm. down the line so it's just kind of one of the ideas we did it for one and it worked quite well but overall it's been a good experience i would definitely recommend that you know when you see a space just like click in it please i would say to everybody like just go up there and like speak go up there and disagree with something that's the main thing like go up there and like you know offer your your view of something because i think what i'm finding with the the twitter spaces at the minute is that i'm seeing the same people like speaking in all the ones that i'm in and i'd really like to see some some new voices and some diverse you know diverse people like just coming up and having their own thoughts about things and kind of rocking the boat a bit let's make it more entertaining right i've i've heard it being described like you you described it using the coffee shop analogy which i think is a great one i've also heard it described as a sort of a substitute for your water cooler conversations right or break room conversations uh, that most people are missing now especially during during covid times and and being you know essentially holed up for months on end um I feel the the medium is really interesting, uh, and especially with 
Twitter spaces where you can introduce contextual tweets, it starts to make the conversation, uh, it starts to enrich the conversation so much more. Let's, let's talk about resources for someone that wants to get started in either the, the no-code space uh, as a founder or as a freelancer. What are some resources that people should keep in mind if they're just starting out? I mean, there's so much out there. That's the hardest thing at the minute. Like we live in the age of information. The hardest thing is curation. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, the best, the best first resource is social listening on Twitter. So like, you know, start following people that are kind of, you resonate with things that you resonate with, like things like comment and engage things like actually start, like, don't start focusing on just finding passive resources. Start by focusing on engaging conversations because you know, two-way conversations, we learn so much from each other. There are, I mean, the great thing about the no-code space is that the documentation behind all of these big tools is just so good. I mean, they put so much effort into, I mean, you've got Webflow University, you've got, I mean, the Makerpad community. I mean, you can go on and log into Makerpad and look at how to connect everything. You know, thanks to Ben, you can go onto No Code Developer. Mm -hmm. You can go onto Indie Hackers and start engaging there. You can join a program like I did, like Launch MBA, which is, you know, like-minded people who are following the same system. So you can have accountability partners if you're that kind of person. That's why I joined, because I like mm -hmm. having that accountability. And I would also say, don't just focus on the no code resources, but actually focus on reading some stuff about like entrepreneurial books, mm -hmm. mindset books, product books, you know, actually start thinking about what are the skills I actually need to qualify an idea, build a story and a brand that resonates with people, position my product, launch my product, and then gain traction and then grow revenue. Like you need to have a grounding in all of those things. So don't just focus on on no code resources. That would be my tip as well. No, oh, that's, that's so valuable. Um, also have fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, what, what, what do you hear when, when you t tell someone about no code or this new way of you know producing MVPs. Uh, if when you talk to someone that's not in the space, um, like I don't know when you're when you're in your kickboxing class or something like that, what what's the reaction you get from people? I mean, well, whoever I don't know who coined the term no code. I think you know it has been attributed to Ben. I think a couple of times. I I don't know who did, but I mean it's a great word, no code. I mean I'm into no code. What that? We build stuff, but without code. Okay, I get it. Like most people get it. Like yeah. it makes sense. Some people kind of like, oh, okay, that's cool, and then that's the end. Some people are like, oh, tell me more. I'm I for one, I'm really excited to see how Launch No Code the podcast progresses. I know that uh, you know what you're working on or what you're thinking about already in terms of a product to help make this process seamless for people is is very much a need. Having started a podcast just in the past few weeks, um, there are just so many things to keep track of and so on. So I'm really looking forward to you know not only 
being on additional live stream sessions, but also following you on on YouTube and once you get the podcast live and so on. And and maybe we'll get to be on a on a Twitter space uh, together later. I'm looking forward to that as well. That would be great. And just like one final thing on the podcasting. So I do have to give a shout out to Janelle who has created Podcast OS. I did purchase that and I've looked through it and it was thanks to her that I and, and saw the documentation there that I, I, I landed across riverside.fm and mm-hmm. that's the platform that I use to do my, my podcast and live streaming through. I do pay for it but oh God, the time that it saves me is just amazing. So that's that's great. Also, I have got Sarah No Socks Podcast Ops and she automated some of the stuff through Webflow already, but we can't use that until I've actually produced a produced a few. Mm-hmm. We've done the live stream, but we've got to produce them. So any podcasters out there, they're the two that I kind of recommend at the minute. What yeah, about you? Do you recommend yeah. any? I I purchased Janelle's podcast OS as well, and definitely using that as sort of my my back end process automation. But also there are some interesting nuggets about just finding your voice, which the sooner you find your voice, the 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 better the quality of your conversations becomes. And that's something that I didn't focus on initially. I wasn't really thinking about you know what what the the listener listener's experience would be given a different type of conversation, right? And I think Janelle's content really turned me on to that. And then also they have a ton of, they have like an inspo board of, of sorts, uh, right? Which is really useful just to get inspiration on different topics, regardless of what the topic of your podcast is. So I would highly recommend that. Well, I think this was so phenomenally valuable for all of our listeners. Uh, thank you, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, why don't you give people a handoff, Natalie, to where they can learn more about you and where they can ping you if they have any questions. For anybody that wants to reach out, the best way to contact me is to DM me on Twitter. It's Natalie underscore Fern. That's F-U-R-N. But yeah, feel free, follow, tweet me, contact me. I'm pretty open to, to chatting on there. If anybody's interested in marketing stuff, then my business is nayamarketing.com. And yeah, anything no code or marketing related, yeah, give me a shout. All right, that was the show. Thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed it and got a ton out of it. If you did, there are two things you need to do. Number one, make sure you subscribe to the show to get notified when a new no code story drops. And number two, I wanna ask you a favor. Who's the one person you know who would absolutely benefit from hearing this story? Text them right now and send them to mynocodestory.com and reference this episode. Maybe they're an entrepreneur. Maybe they can use this episode to level up at their job. Or maybe they're just someone who loves creating new things. Do it. Subscribe and then send them the text. Make a difference. Thanks again and I'll see you on the next one.